This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of the Custard TV podcast. I hope you are all well. Dawn is here as always. I will be missing in some weeks in the near future, but at the moment, this is where I am. And how are you today, Dawn? I'm okay, I'm holding it together. I'm waiting for the quote to come through for the removal people, which um, I suspect is going to be very big because he used the words high volume. (laughs) So, (laughs) looking forward to that. And also uh, back with us today, Sarah Kennedy. How are you, Sarah? Just don't ask. (laughs) January is a nightmare. (laughs) Oh, I tell you what, I had great customer service from a reputable um, Swedish furniture manufacturer in the week. That's probably the best thing that's happened to me. Oh. But that does mean when that on the BBC a... you can say IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> that does that does mean that I do have to build a sofa tonight. Oh, everything else in my life is being dismantled, but the sofa at least I have control over. Good positive start, everyone. <laughs> let's crack on with it. Let's crack on with it, yeah. The best and the worst on the box. This could be a podcast. A podcast? Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. This is the Custard TV Podcast. Today we will be discussing uh, the new uh, series of True Detective, Holon Night Country. Uh, We've got uh, Australian Netflix drama Boy Swallows Universe, the second series of Big Boys on Channel 4. And of course, we will be talking about the reboot of Gladiators. Uh, but first, let's do uh, what we've been watching. Sarah, let's start with you because you've not been on the podcast in a while. Yeah, so I've got a few things on my list. Obviously, Traitors. Oh, my God. It's fantastic. So we chat Traitors. <laughs> so, so happy with it. I swear I've got maybe sort of 30 to 40 people that I see in work every day. Everybody's watching it. Everybody. But it's great to actually be able to be confident where people are in the story and be able to talk about Paul and Jazz and Harry and, oh, my God, and the library and all of this. (laughs) And Diane, maybe, maybe not. Oh, my goodness. It's incredible stuff. (laughs) I think you would be a good host on The Traitors. I think because I'm still a bit iffy on Claudia. I know everyone sort of turned a corner on her, but I, I just, Claudia. <laughs> I just don't, I just don't buy it with her. I don't buy, you know, the act that she's putting on. I think she's excellent at the tasks. I like, I like mm. it when she goes yes. horse yelling at them. Maybe because we've known her as a presenter, um, being so like cheerful and warm, mm. and and now she gets to sort of stretch her legs a bit, mm. um, and and be a little bit a shade darker. Although I wouldn't like to step into the breach even in an emergency because there's another presenter already in that house who would do amazing work. It is, of course, the deer head dressed up as Claudia with the wig. (laughs) (laughs) It was just one of my favourite items in that house full of cool things. Why did they all think Meg was a traitor? (laughs) (laughs) Nicest, quietest, what was she like? A children's book illustrator, like the nicest person. (laughs) Although they I mean, did that think would that have been a very good, a very good defense, like a very good sort of um, character. Yeah, yeah. and they did banish the guy who had his leg blown off by an IED. As well, so, you know. That episode, the one that became an advert for the British Army with Harry in tears, um, yeah. having to stab his former colleague and comrade in the back. 
a lot of the two of them, you know, doing the physical challenge, carrying heavy stuff up the hill. Look, look how Harry can do it because he's in the army. He's look amazing. how many medals they have between them. <laughs> it was a bit weird. I did like how Tracy the clairvoyant couldn't see her murder coming. <laughs> did you see? Yeah, the ridiculous yeah. podcast where she didn't guess any of the names. Each one was a total shock to her. Yeah. Was it with her and Anthony with the the scroll? Yeah. Yeah. Is that the bit? Yeah. I know we talked last week about the sort of, you know, the set scenes of everyone at night <laughs> to be murdered. Charlotte's one is just her <laughs> in the bath, like, lathering up. <laughs> it's not right. But she must have agreed to that. Yeah. Because <laughs> Tracy was there with her crystals. Yeah. Bit of blue for the dads. <laughs> Although you see, if I was in there, I would be suspicious of Charlotte and Jasmine because they seem to be the ones who sort of are leading people towards Brian and then Johnny as well. I found. And Jasmine seems to go for the shields a lot, so I'd be thinking, why are you going for the shields so much? Why are you so determined to have that in your control or to be safe? As mm. I said, that that would be my strategy: is to always get make sure the traitors always got the shield. Because mm. then it leaves you a wider field for murdering. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I did like how people have now said, well, they thought Miles was playing a brilliant game, but he might just be a bit lazy. <laughs> yeah. just might forget that he is actually a traitor. I know, I genuinely think he does. He does forget that he is a traitor because he's just so chill. And I honestly think that could take him quite far. As long as he doesn't get rumbled with this uh, drink, mm. that yeah. could take him quite far, I think. There doesn't seem to be as much concern this time around at voting off like the fit and the strong and the smart and capable people. Yeah. Do you not want to earn some money in these silly tasks? <laughs> <laughs> don't leave on the people who are going to be a little bit confused and a bit weak and people who don't like cold water swimming. <laughs> I, I genuinely did get the application form for this. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't fill it in because I thought, how many weeks off work am I going to be able to have? This is too difficult. Uh, but then the first challenge of the first episode where they had to do, you know, jump in the water and do the silly little um, rafts and stuff like that and the bridge and stuff. And I was like, oh, shit. I'm so glad that I didn't apply. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't have that fitness. And, like, I don't have the poker face. I'd be like, oh, my God, I hate this. I don't want to do it. <laughs> just... It wouldn't have worked. No. What else, Sarah? I have also been watching the new series of Father Brown, which is the most wonderful comfort TV, and has a lot of like pretty famous guest stars pop up in it these days. First Dates is back. Uh, I've watched one episode because the scheduling for that seems to be all over the place. Oh, so... they, they removed it. Uh, you didn't see the headline. They removed no. it from streaming, and, and uh, Fred Syriac said he didn't know what was going on. They said it was something editorial, so I suspect... Someone in an upcoming episode has um they've discovered it needs to be cut out of it. It's if someone is someone a wrong one. <laughs> yes. Oh, they no. obviously haven't done those background checks like they said they would with Matt because there was something married at first sight, wasn't there, where someone had like yeah. a, a DV conviction or something yeah. and they didn't check oh, ahead yeah. of time and then he was sort of controlling coercive with the woman that they oh. married him off to. So <laughs> it was like yeah. Dawn, what about you? Yeah, the only thing I've watched aside from the traitors is I finished The Tourist. Me too. Um, something happened to me I've, that's never happened to me before, and this has nothing to do with the quality of the show. But in the final episode, I fell asleep in the last 20 minutes because I'm so tired. I've never fallen asleep watching TV before. And I woke up and I went, oh, it's Martin Compton. Oh, 
looks like the submarine in Vigil. Oh, did it? Was it the same people wrote it? They must have done like a scene. <laughs> and I saw the trawler, and I was like, oh, they must be going out to find the wreck of this boat that that that's all, everything's been about. And then eventually, I went, no, this is Vigil. Slept <laughs> through the end. Of also the played day. Vigil. <laughs> And it just immediately went into Vigil. So I was very confused. I went back and watched the last 20 minutes. <laughs> so I really enjoyed the tourists, other than Ruri's story. I won't say exactly what happens, but I thought they completely dropped the ball with Ruri. Mm, made him like a comedy character yeah, with, with after Ethan. After he'd held Helen captive. You know, I didn't, mm. I just, it, it, no, that, that was really poorly done. But I liked everything to do with Helen and Elliot slash Eugene's story and yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And you agree with me about the piano man scene as well, because I'm yeah. just really haunting. It's like I'm <laughs> yeah. never gonna be able to listen to that song again. No, and there was another one. What was the other song they played? Oh, it was um Rock Set, uh, Listen to Your Heart, Ethan. Yeah, with e- Ethan in the car. <laughs> yes. I mean he was just every time he pops up, I'm just like I love fantastic. <laughs> with his uh, with his rate whistle. Yes. And he's and he's mansplaining, mansplaining, which was fantastic. <laughs> that was my favourite bit. <laughs> my favourite line was "elephant in the room" and I'm the elephant. <laughs> did you watch the tourist Sarah when it was on before? Yes, and... I did. I watched the first series, and guess what? I was watching just before I joined this call. <laughs> I watched oh. the first twenty minutes of the first episode, so I'm trying to be like la 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 la. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I'm I'm only at the proclaimers part of it at the moment. Oh yes. <laughs> Pretenders. Pretenders, yeah. Pretenders. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Without any spoilers, did you feel that that was we don't know if we've got another series, but we can do one if we want to. Definitely. If there's a third series, you know, I could see they've they've left a hanging tag, I suppose, to hang it on, if you know what I mean. Uh, but if they don't, then it's just it's been rounded off nicely. So because like they never expected to make a second. No, so they had so to quickly like, scramble. So they obviously, <laughs> when they wrote this one, went, well, we better put something in the last episode in case we get a third. <laughs> so they definitely saw ahead this time, and, and mm. we'll see. I don't know. It might be milking it too much if they do a third, and I don't think it's had the same impact as the first one, first season. No, did, nobody's so. talking about it, no. which is a shame, because yeah. I think in some ways it's better. Um, yeah. But I think I, the, I, the comedy is higher in this one, yeah. but not in a stupid way, you know, in, no. a, in a good way. And I spoke to Luke about it, and he was very similar to you about the Rory character. Yeah. But yeah. we won't say anymore because no. Sarah's watching. For me, The Traitors and The Tourists is the, are the only sort of shows that I've been watching, apart from uh, what we're going to talk about today. Quickly, has anyone got anything to plug this, this, this week? <laughs> Uh, no. By the time this goes up, I will have an article on the Custard TV about uh, Mr. Bates versus the post office, uh, uh, talking about why drama um, rather than documentaries is can be so impactful and have an effect on uh, society and culture. Yes, because that's blown up, hasn't it? That's like... Yep. It really has. All of this inquiry stuff was already taking place. All these people were yep. in court over the next few weeks and have been you know this this version of the case that now is in front of the courts has rolled on for a long time let alone all the previous ones um and now all those people are like public enemy number one you know it's really interesting to see how the dynamic of the news reporting has changed yeah i'm right yeah. so also up on the custardtv.com at the moment luke's got a new article which is basically a heartbreak for dawn <laughs> Where he's talking about everything that's been cancelled, he's coming back. Is um, yeah, 
three of my favourites have been cancelled in the space of like a week. Uh, so that is Minx. But I mean, to be fair, I did expect in a way all three of them I knew were on the chopping block. Uh, so Minx uh, is gone and our flag uh, means death, the pirate queer comedy. And Julia is, is going to be no more. But again, it just wasn't watched by enough people. It just, you know, I think also apparently there's some regulation that if you go to a third series that all the cast has to get paid more. So mm-hmm. these are all finishing after their second series. So, you know, we know it's about money. And um, mm-hmm. Our Flag Means Death had already had its budget absolutely slashed and so had to kill off a couple of crew members in order to be able to afford to make season two and they moved production to New Zealand to be able to afford it so it is all about cost cutting so and you know something like Minx and Julia are both period pieces so that increases the cost of uh, any set pieces so I, I can I can understand why but I'm very sad and quite sort of niche stories in a way aren't yeah. they as well they haven't got that mass appeal that you can no. sell them to loads of markets and... No, exactly. Yeah, I know it is a shame with those shows because they are interesting and unique shows. So it is a mm-hmm. shame that that yeah. they've got cancelled. But yeah, Luke, uh, sort of a new monthly feature that's being trialed this week, and also we've got a, a very good article from uh, from Will Barber Taylor up there at the moment about how uh, politicians have used TV to sort of further their star, going all the way up to. Uh, Mr. Farage in, in the jungle last year. So, yeah, that's up there now, as well as all your usual features, the coming soon page, the TV this week page. Uh, yeah, because it's TV.com and the podcast, you know, we're always here. I don't know, 460 episodes at this point, going back to 2011. Please rate, review, subscribe, um, and you can contact us all in the normal ways. Just mention that at the end of the show. But let's get started with uh, this week's reviews. And first up, we have True Detective uh, Night Country. This is uh, the fourth series in the sort of uh, crime anthology loosely uh, tied together. Set in the fictional town of Ennis in the Arctic region of Alaska, where the sun doesn't rise for 30 days. I don't know if either of you seen 30 Days of Night, the uh, the vampire film. Yes, but yeah. There were certainly some sort of allusions to that. There's also some allusions to... Uh, John Carpenter's The Thing as we begin in the Scientific Research Centre on the outside of town where we get one of the scientists seemingly having a seizure stating she's awake and then uh, the next scene we see is a delivery driver going there. The entire place is completely uh, empty aside from a uh, severed tongue which is found under a table. Case is then investigated by Jodie Foster's uh, police chief, Liz Danvers, alongside her team, which includes a deputy, Hank Pryor, and his newly qualified cop son, Peter. Also, the case piques the interest of Evangeline Navarro, who's a former cop turned ranger. She believes there is a link between uh, this mass disappearance and the death of Annie Kotak, uh, who was murdered years before, she was beaten after her murder and her tongue was removed, hence the link. Liz is initially dismissive of this, uh, but reluctantly explores the case to search for a link, uh, which leads both women to the research base. The first episode then ends with the discovery of the bodies that went missing, uh, partly due to Fiona Shaw's character of Rose being guided towards uh, the site where the bodies are found. 
Now, Dawn, you you've watched two episodes, I believe. Is that I right? I have. Yep, I have. Yeah. As is your uh... my brand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, just guide us through what you thought of the show. I have to say, I've never watched True Detective. No, ever. I haven't. I've only watched the first episodes of two and three, both of which didn't really get me. I know everyone was really into one. What about you, Sarah? I think I can't remember it very well, but I think I watched the majority of one. But yeah. I don't think that was my choice. It was watching with someone else. <laughs> and I'm not sure it did much for me. No, but I know no. that it was it was like a massive sensation at the time. This is not what I expected because I, I've, you know, what I've known of True Detective, I was thinking it in a kind of seven kind of way, you know, a, you know, a couple of cops investigating some serial killer, whatever. But this immediately has supernatural elements. So I was immediately thinking of the X-Files. It was so X-Files. Um, it reminded me of both X-Files films because um, both have sort of Arctic set pieces. And also um, an, there's an episode of the X-Files, which is a blatant ripoff of the thing, <laughs> called Ice. But it's, um, you know, scientists in an Arctic base who are researching uh, climate change, which is what's going on here. So I loved that element of it. And I really loved the fact that there's so much of this story is tied to uh, the native population, the native history. We see at the very start, there's like a native guy, he's, he's about to shoot a, a reindeer. And there's like a, a, a group of reindeer, oh, a herd of reindeer, that's the word, um, in the distance <laughs> on the ice. And um, he, just as he's about to shoot one, the sun goes down and the reindeer all start screaming and then they all run and fling themselves off a cliff so that was immediately piqued my interest that it was something a bit supernatural a bit old world there's an ancient whether it's an evil or good trying to protect the you know the planet and the the native population is much more connected to it than these white people are and i think it's actually in the second episode rose's character who has seen her, her i'm assuming he's her dead lover or boyfriend something anyway to do with that that guided her and and the the um trooper angeline says to her you know how long have you been seeing the dead and she says oh well it's only him i see and then she says but a lot of people see that in ennis so where they are is obviously sort of close to the edge of the curtain that separates two worlds kind of thing but saying that i don't want to put people off that it's all weird and supernatural it's also hugely cop beast and the second episode is very very cop beast and i love jodie foster in this she's the epitome of the normally male character of the curmudgeonly old cop who everybody hates and he's angered everybody in the town but there's a young cop that looks up to him and that's the character she's playing and it is fantastic she's obviously widowed uh, she's got her husband's teenage daughter she's trying to look after and she's being a, a usual teenager and causing her headache and um there's also Hank's son Peter has a child and his wife is like oh you're always going for her she's not your family I'm your family whatever she calls you go to her to work because he's like totally in awe of her as a as a policewoman I love it and I mean it it looks like a film it feels like a film Mm. it's very high quality and it's obviously there's been a huge amount of research into the native culture, and I'm assuming uh, they have had experts on board to explain the connection. And that's the story of, of of Annie was that she was protesting the mine that was there, 
and that's why they think that's why she was murdered and and but the mine is what keeps the town going they pay for everything in the town to keep the school going and everything so it's that relationship between a, a small town and a big business they need them but also it's destroying the environment so i thought there's so much in it but i also found it really tense and exciting yeah it was sort of very rich in story and and all yeah. the different themes and it packed a lot into that first hour. What about you, Sarah? Let me take you back to the very <laughs> start of this show. I wrote down, I hate horror, especially remote, stranded at the edge of the universe with no rescue body horror stuff, which is what that began. If it's yet another long dormant virus in the ice that scientists have released upon their Arctic research station, I swear to God, I'll be the one going Looney Tunes up and down the corridor, gibbering wildly. So. <laughs> I was hoping for Olaf or Darry Olafson to turn up in his sort of like trapped uniform with his lovely beard uh, to make me feel safe. And then Billie Eilish is on the credits and then it becomes the show that you were sort of expecting. I really liked this. By the end of the episode, I had come out from behind the sofa. It was excellent. <laughs> I won't be the first to make this association and I won't be the last. It's got Mayor of Easttown vibes. I don't want to. I actually didn't get there, but you you t- you say right. I don't want to put too much pressure on just the one episode that I've seen, but if it can be like sixty percent as good as Mayor of Easttown, then it's incredible TV. It like you say, it's so well researched. It feels like that town is real. It feels like those people are real, and those problems are all interlinked, and they're all real. Neither of these women, the the trooper uh, nor Liz Danvers, is going to accept any shit, and they are doing their best but coming at it from such different positions that they're going to be at loggerheads yeah I really enjoyed it and the one thing that I picked up on that may have again because it's a detective show you want to be the armchair detective and you want to get to the central mystery before anyone else is this a comment on the water crisis at Flint Michigan is -hmm. something being poisoned for all these people to have these moments of psychosis and madness yeah, um, there is there is a a, a a thread through it, isn't there, about the waters turning yeah. Yeah, and black. Yeah. Annie's brother, when he was drinking beer, he said, Oh no, you don't want any water, it's gone, it's gone bad. And I wondered if this was mass psychosis because of the chemicals used at this mine. Yeah, it's really interesting. It reminded me of all good things. It reminded me of well, Fortitude wasn't so good, but it reminded me of that. It reminded me of yeah. trapped. I had to tr- try not and... just remember what that series was called i just looked it up Um, (laughs) um, but it didn't just remind me of trapped because it's snowy it reminds me of trapped because this dynamic in the workplace in the in the the police station it was not what you expected it was three people working really closely together but hank and his son have got their problems hank and danvers seem to always be fighting each other on something he seems a bit creepy. It's all, it's, you know, there's there's so many layers here. And then you add in feelings about the white population and the native population. And you were saying that it look, it's quite clear they've done a lot of research. I did notice not just in the cast, but in the production team, there were a lot of Native American names in there. So it feels like it's it's about as authentic as it comes on TV these days. I was under a blanket in my living room. I looked up, I was getting really cold. I looked up, I realised my living room was 13 degrees. I did not stop the show, I stayed put. (laughs) 
totally agree. I had similar Naughty Noir vibes, Sarah, to you. I think maybe sort of more generically, I went for the killing rather than trapped, just because, you know, female cop, hard, yeah, hard edge. You're not as into the into the Nordic niche as I am. <laughs> I was going to bring up Midnight Sun, which was the Swedish thing about a town having to live on a mine where there was like subsidence and stuff, and how that was related to all of the terrible things that were happening. So it's just the spookiness of uh, yeah. a place where it goes dark for a month. Mm. It's. I think this one was it was always light. The one I'm thinking of. So it was the it was the complete opposite. <laughs> it, it is. It, it's that. It's the unsettling unnaturalness mm. of something that is actually perfectly natural but we as mm. humans can't cope with yeah but yeah i love the atmosphere you know you mentioned the billy eilish they also used was it the um thanks i think that song about yeah, the one, one that, for sorrow yeah yeah which is i would just remember from detectorist yeah <laughs> that is yeah i realized i knew the song but i didn't realize i knew it from such a warm gentle place yeah. <laughs> jodie foster's brilliant the actress and i've got her name somewhere who plays evangeline Howie. Tally Rears, who is, I believe, a former boxer, I was reading. And she's absolutely, I mean, that every time that character comes on screen, you're just entranced her sort of physical performance, I think. You know, the one scene where she uh, wants sex and she's having sex. Yeah, I was going to say, that was one of the things I really liked, is that the two female leads, Jodie Foster and Tally Rears, their characters are both shown to do that, to just be like, hi, I want sex. And they're like, oh, the men are go, okay. It's the way that male cops used to be portrayed. And so to see these two women both completely in control of their sexuality and what they want and getting it when they want and not being fussed about the anything afterwards, any ongoing relationship yeah. with the men, you know, I thought that was brilliant to see. This is just really well directed. The effort has been put in, the, the, the devil's in the detail a little bit. You believe everything you're seeing, even when she puts the Baileys in, in the like, <laughs> petrol yeah. thing of the guy that's threatened to beat her up. I just thought every little bit, you know, the humour is, is as important in a way. You need that mm. bits of levity. And yeah, Jodie Foster is fantastic. I'm keen to see more of Fiona Shaw's character because she looks absolutely balmy. It's six episodes. I'm sure each is going to be fantastic. It is proper like old school HBO, as you say. It looks great. It's a story that you can really get into. A cast who sort of are at the top of their game. Lots of themes about the race element is there. The poisoning, the sort of the close-knit community with this cop who doesn't fit in for a number of reasons yeah just brilliant and i i will be watching it and i like sarah I, my heating's working but i was i was still sort of sat there entranced by the whole thing definite recommend here all round that is on sky atlantic i believe it's weekly i don't think it's a i think you have to be patient with this one guys and, no. and watch it weekly not <laughs> Again, even though sorry in, in the second episode um Christopher Eccleston turns up and is a very surprising scene. And Dervla Kerwin is in it as well. So there's some amazing and surprising British actors in it. So that is True Detective Night Country. And we move now to uh, Netflix, to Australia in 1985. And a show called Boy Swallows Universe. This is an um, adaptation of the novel by Trent Dalton. 
It's uh, set in 1985 in Brisbane, and it focuses on the life of um, a young man called Eli. He's being raised primarily by his mother, Francis, and stepdad, Lyle. Uh, we have an opening scene with Lyle basically being taken out of the house by some unsavoury characters. We assume he's up to no good, but we get the old Luke special and we turn back the clock and we learn Lyle uh, used to be a drug dealer. Eli um, also has an older brother, Gus, who is a uh, mute and communicates via making words from his fingers and we see what he's saying there's like little air writing so we can see what he's saying to Eli and most of it is very sort of profound sayings almost like haiku type uh, sayings they are concerned that Lyle's dealing again primarily because their mum is a recovering heroin addict they're concerned about if he is returning to the world of drugs this will mean that their mother will start using again there's quite a few traumatic scenes where we see her you know addiction and subsequent they're trying to sort of rehabilitate her by making her go cold turkey we also see sort of Eli's adolescence trying to deal with school teachers dishing out corporal punishment being bullied by other classmates he does seek advice he's got a convicted murderer come babysitter called Slim, played by Brian Brown. And he's also got a pen pal who just happens to be imprisoned, who gives him words of wisdom that do prove fruitful. And as we go to the final scene of episode one, we see uh, Eli's fears confirmed, but also suggested that he's going to be sucked further into the criminal underworld. Um, I'll start with Sarah first. What did you think on this one? I liked it, but... It's kind of hard to like. It's 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 navigating that path between gritty, brutal, horrible reality and this twee magical realism. It was like listening to a book. It narrated hard. It narrated strong. It narrated throughout. <laughs> Interestingly, I, I found out this is semi-autobiographical, so this is quite a thing to bring to the screen. I liked the letters to and from the convicts being used as the narration though I did think that was quite funny and quite charming actually these kids have seen some terrible things because we don't learn much in the first episode about um their real like biological father but there's obviously been something terrible that's happened there as well and then there's this power imbalance Frankie is a user Lyle is a dealer there's this terrible disturbing scene of her having to go cold turkey because she's imprisoned Everybody's listening to her scream the house down. It's really interesting how there's a lot of happiness in that house as well, which is like really strange, but also really good to see on screen that life is complicated, but you don't have to immediately feel sorry for a child who's grown up like that because they will find some joy. They will find some escape. Gus, I think, brings that beautifully because he, he communicates through drawings and and through this almost magical sign language everybody knows what he's saying <laughs> everyone who knows him well rather knows what he's saying and it's a very complicated relationship especially with Lyle because the boys adore him this stepfather but also he's a terrible person 
Um, he's also a sexy Viking in my mind, so that's very confusing. <laughs> but and the beard is far too long and straggly, even by my standards. I don't know what I was expecting, but it certainly wasn't this. This family drama, this, this coming-of-age story, and also there's a lot of comedic elements in it as well. And I think it's that very unusual, almost sort of like rug-pulling emotional beats that we get from Aussie TV that we just don't get elsewhere in the in the same way and then there's this nostalgia for the 80s as well although I'm, I'm informed by an Australian friend that Brisbane is at least 20 to 50 years behind everybody else it's just an odd thing a really odd thing and yeah I think I probably will stick with it even though there was a lot like a lot a lot I was confused I watched the two minute trailer because I knew nothing about it and it was pow, 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 there was a lot going on but I think they did manage to introduced us gradually to that world and in the first episode it wasn't too overpowering or overwhelming despite the the Luke special. I agree and I think it is going to sort of even itself out a little bit as it goes on. Interestingly for a Netflix show it did have a trailer at the end which I you know like a coming up type thing which was a bit strange but it at least let, let you know you know you are going to see Eli grow up as a, a second actor playing him as he gets older um, this, this first actor is sensational. Yeah, he is. Really I've good. never, I don't think I've been more captivated mm. uh, with a, a child performance since, I don't know, it's like, like his dark materials or something. Mm. There's part of it that reminds me of Jojo Rabbit in a way, mm-hmm. because this is a child's eye view of a very adult situation, even though Eli knows a lot more that's going on. You know, he knows what's happened to his mum. He's worried about what's going to happen again. He's essentially majorly older than his age because even his older brother can't be as much of a protective factor because of what's going on there with as you say the artwork the mutism there's a lot going on there so he's obviously looking for role models elsewhere whether they be in prison or I love the Brian Brown character in there scene in the car at the beginning that was amazing it made me laugh a lot of times throughout as well I love the line you're Vietnamese, there's no way you're descended from samurais. <laughs> that was a great line. It reminded, I don't know if either of you have seen the film Animal Kingdom, the Australian crime film. That's the other thing it reminded me of as well with a young lad whose family are basically all drug dealers and, and he getting sort of embroiled in that world. So, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed this as well. It's something very unique. You feel that sort of 80s vibe straight away. I'll be eager to see how it progresses and if it becomes something a little bit more generic or if it keeps this, as you say, the magical realism tone which marks it out from other shows of this ilk. Dawn, you really enjoyed Australian TV last year between Deadlock and and Colin from Accounts. Where does this one rank up there for you? Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. Not as much as as those shows, but I I ended up watching two and a half episodes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I liked the sort of touch of magical realism that that Sarah touched on. You know, we have these, like, shots of them in this station wagon car floating in space, and obviously it's going to become more clear what that's about. It's something from their childhood, because they're both, Gus and Eli are both younger in those shots, so it's something that's happened and this is how they've sort of dealt with it you know we we complain a lot on here about middle class problems so it's nice to see working class problems you know it made me think of in in Muriel's wedding the place she comes from you know and it's all working class and nobody has much hope and it just 
feels like that. You you feel the the hopelessness in it. But at the same time, as Sarah said, it's really happy. And I, I liked that, that Lyle is one of these characters that he is a drug dealer. So you go, well, he's a terrible person. But you can see he desperately loves his partner and the children and he wants to do the best for them. And this is the only way he knows how. If he deals drugs, he can get money and they can move away. And, you know, he's desperately trying. When um, Eli follows him on a drug deal and Eli starts sobbing and he's like, why are you crying? And you think, oh, no, this is going to go bad. But no, he, he ends up saying, never feel bad for crying. You you cry because you care and you should hold on to that and, and never be ashamed to cry. I just thought that was so lovely to see, you know, that you could see why the boys loved him so much, even though he had put their mother through this uh, heroin uh, addiction. As you see, the the young actor, Felix Cameron, his name, is just outstanding. He's so captivating. Not for a minute do you feel he's acting at all. It just all felt so natural. Um, And as you see uh, with Brian Brown as well, the, the relationship between Slim and him, you know, underworlds are always so gritty and gangsters and depression and whatever. My husband and I watched the film Hope and Glory last night, which is about the Second World War. But it's one of the most joyous films you'll ever see. And we were speaking about that, that, you know, people who are going through trauma, life can't be awful every second of every day. You couldn't live like that. <laughs> there is happiness. There is joy. There is love. And, and this series, I think, really shows that well, that this boy, despite the fact his mum's a drug addict, his dad is a dealer, is hugely loved and he knows he's loved and he has a confidence in the world about them because of that. I think it's really a lovely thing, despite despite the fact that, you know, that it's about some awful stuff and violence and everything. It feels really lovely at the same time. And there is a little supernaturalness because there's a phone in the basement, which um, mm, he, yeah. Eli speaks to somebody on and it, it's not connected to anything. I, I definitely will watch it to the end to see yeah. what happens. It's a unique show and something, yeah. you know, there's elements, obviously, that, of things we've seen before, but it's done in a way that yeah makes you want to see more. And yeah, that's all there now on Netflix, I believe seven episodes in total, Boy Swallows Universe. Uh, moving on now to uh, the second series of uh, Big Boys, which is um, Jack Rook's would you say semi-autobiographical, I suppose, yeah. sitcom? It opens with the gang celebrating uh, Jack's dead dad's 60th birthday. This is just after uh, Jack's come out to his mum and grandma's aware now and is accepting of this by handing him a, a pina colada when everyone else gets a pint. Following this, he gets a very eye-opening encounter in the pub toilets, let's just say. Um, but as university approaches, Jack and his friends find themselves struggling to secure accommodation for their second year. Elsewhere, Danny tries to win Corrine's affections only to learn she has found love during the summer break. Now, I have to apologise to Dawn. Did this Was this first episode very triggering for you, having been through trying to find a house oh. recently? <laughs> I was like, why? I didn't see a glory hole. Um <laughs> Yes, I yes. wrote I wrote it down as the inglorious glory hole incident. <laughs> <laughs> I have to confess, I had not intended to watch. I was like, I'm going to watch two episodes and then I'm going to spit it out and enjoy it like a normal person. But mm -hmm. then last night was a bad night in uh, my household with uh, health. So uh, 
I watched the last night at two and three o'clock this morning. I finished it. So that tells you all you need to know. <laughs> I really loved it. Um, I just feel it was too short. And there was so much they covered in this um season. Um, they cover basically a whole year. We can spoil it, can't we? We can spoil his cousin's pregnancy. Mm. Shannon is pregnant. So we covered the whole length of her pregnancy to birth. So it's a lot to cover. And I just feel like I could have spent a lot more time in them because we don't spend a huge amount of time with Danny this season. Obviously, his mental health was the core issue of the, the first series. I kind of missed that in this, this. It wasn't such focus, but I guess it meant everybody was much more equal. You know, all the characters were much more equally dished out in terms of the story. I really, really love, and I've forgotten to write down her name, the actress that plays Corin. She was in Boiling Point as well. She played the French mm. uh, sous chef in, in Boiling Point, and I just absolutely love her. There's more about her in this season, which I really enjoyed. Uh, and like, she's called Izuka Hoyle. I Thank got there at the exact same time. <laughs> Thank you very much, Izuka Hoyle. She is just so good and so beautiful. So we, we get to see a lot more of her character and what's going on in her life, which I really like. But um, Dylan Llewellyn, he has this quality that he really makes in Jack, that kind of goofy, out of step with the world, too good to be true, but just somebody who's constantly failing, but failing upwards. He just, everything goes wrong, but somehow... He's just such a lovely person out of it. And he's he's his mum and um is, is so nice. I'm just obsessed with found family stuff. Um and this is a lot of found family in this season. I don't know why. I, I have a very happy family. I'm very fortunate to have, <laughs> have, have my own very happy blood family. Um, but uh I I'm obsessed with stuff that's found family and this does it so well. It's another show that is just so nice to watch. Like Sarah said, you know, the, the watching the first series is comfort TV. It is comfort TV. It's comforting and warm and life-affirming. I was sobbing at the last episode. I won't say anything that happens in it, but it made me cry a huge amount. So that the power to do that and be so funny at the same time. Um, I thought it was quite interesting that you said that this series wasn't really about Danny. Because I watched the first two episodes and each one opens with a flashback to his childhood neglect and the fact that he had to make a decision at such a young age that he was going to go and live with his nan because she was the only person who loved him. And we know the outcome of that story from the first series. And when you were saying about found family, how in the first episode he gets so hung up on having the perfect house for his friends because finally he's found somewhere that he feels like he belongs and he's got this fantasy of Corinne as the mum and their two gay kids and stuff and and she has to sort of puncture that because <laughs> life has moved on for her when she went back to Scotland. It's very beautiful and just like that little bit of sadness to it as well which I think is a lot of comedies aim for it these days but not a lot of them get it right like this. Um, I think the thing that made me laugh the most in the first episode was Corinne's band that she was in at school was called The Flagpipes. <laughs> it made me laugh so much. I like I expect that to be a band now. <laughs> yeah, loved it. Um, I think possibly Danny's absence may be to do with the fact that John Pointing was doing another show at the same time. He's just been smothered on Sky. 
the aforementioned glory hole scene was hilarious. That sort of physical comedy will never not be funny. I did empathize with Jack when he didn't want to go out and just wanted to watch Strictly Come Dancing. That is <laughs> that is very me. But yeah, just this chemistry between, as you said, Dawn, the found family, the chemistry specifically between Dylan Llewellyn and John Pointing as well. You believe this family, this friendship, you know, this sort of not romantic sort of bromance, uh, as, as idiots would call it. Because it's almost like a love letter, isn't it, to that character who I believe is a, a composite character. It's not based on anyone specifically. Um, yes, that's but right. They... In interviews, he said it's it's basically his four best friends who, you know, looked at him and got him through university. Just as joyous as it, as it was before. And hopefully this is another show that gets cancelled after two series. <laughs> not cancelled, yes. Shall we move on to Gladiators? Dawn and I are definitely of the age where we can tell you what Gladiators is. And I can't <laughs> believe that there are people, adult people watching who won't have seen it before. This is your classic shiny floor Saturday night entertainment, as was in the mid-90s, where fit young idiots, <laughs> the people who are training for marathons, the people who train, uh, decide that they're going to go up against uh, a roster of incredible-looking athletes who have been trained for months and months and months on these very tasks, these very tasks that they have to do. The muscly idiots are naive and charming and they bring their family with them and people go wild and all of these physical feats happen in front of you and there's usually pugil sticks. Um, I was reading the reaction on Twitter last night to it coming back. I think it's pleased everybody in their 30s, 40s and 50s, probably older because it was family TV on a Saturday night. Um, and I've read so many people uh, refer to it as their gay awakening, <laughs> which is rather adorable. Although, however, it's really interesting now to think of these people in the 90s who we considered to be completely ripped would just look quite normal these days because, like, gym stuff has, has just gone nuts in the past, like, 20 years or so, you know? Like, how people uh, shape their bodies to their aspirations mm. is so different now. It was fab. Strangely, Dawn and I had a little chat before uh, the call and we realised that we were both cooking during it. <laughs> so again, it's a very Saturday night thing, isn't it? You know, with mm. the family, there's a pizza and garlic bread in the oven, that sort of thing. The one thing that I think was a little bit divisive about its return was the hosts. Mm. So I'm probably going to get the name wrong. So it's Bradley Walsh and his son, I want to say Barney. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They've been doing like a travel series for someone. Yeah, right, yeah. Bradley's obviously on everything. They did something mm. called Breaking Dad. Oh, yes, I remember. All the gladiators have, like, names, like Fire and mm. Dome giant. and Ice and Giant. Giant, he was fit. Definitely my cup of tea. Hello, Giant, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> everybody has decided that uh, Walsh Jr.'s gladiator name is Nepo. <laughs> Ian Highland, I believe, that his review was... Um... Yes, I think that's where I saw it. He always looks really tired. I don't know if you think it's like his eyes. It always looks like the, he's had a... The lighting did him no favours at all, possibly the colour of his suit as well. He just looked like he had dark circles under his eyes, bless him. And... Yeah, so it's basically narcissists getting the shit kicked out of them for, for public amusement. I watched this with my mum and, and she was like, oh, I was never really into gladiators. And then 30 seconds later, we're both there singing another one. <laughs> the dust, like... <laughs> the fucking fingers like the, the last audience. 30 years never happened. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I got a message from my brother because he didn't watch it, him and my sister-in-law. They've got two young children, so I'll let them off. Um, he says, which gladiators did we meet? Because we met uh, Saracen and Panther in all sports in 1995. There's a very <laughs> 90s memory for you. I love that. Of course they were in all sports. Where else would they be? <laughs> it's a lot of leg strength now, isn't it? Because it's a lot of sort of prize mm. people off things with your legs. The new uh, baddie, we used to have Wolf, who was at least 20 years older than the other gladiators. And now we've got Viper, who is about the same age as all the other gladiators. And also <laughs> the first deaf gladiator as well. Yeah. Fury. Uh, so, that, yeah, Fury, she looks great. Yeah, it's nice that, that, that they've diversified slightly, but each body is pulled up <laughs> in a way that, you know, it looks like it might be inflated by air. <laughs> Also, the other thing that feels like they're trying to modernise it is the locker room cam mm -hmm. that they yeah. split to occasionally. Because <laughs> me and Sarah would have yeah. been kids at the time. You would <laughs> obviously have been a teenager. Yeah, I was past the age of, of gladiators. <laughs> I said to my husband when he came in the kitchen, I was like, it's, it's like American football. There's a lot of talk and then there's like 30 seconds of action. And then there's a lot of talk and then there's 30 seconds of action. When you've gotten down to it, there's not a huge amount going on. I, I was thinking about, obviously, the comparison to Ninja Warrior, um, which was the, the last sort of similar series, and there was a lot more of the action. But I think this show isn't about that. It's about the fact that the audience is there and the, another one bites the dust and played, and it's the same old, you've got to interview each one afterwards, and what did you think? Why did you, what tactic, whatever... I liked that the, the, the um, contestants were all supporting each other, which was nice, a kind of a, a bake-off twist to it now that they're all like, yay, I be, I'm winning, but you're lovely. And I thought the one thing when Sarah was speaking about, you know, the, the difference now, and it, what I thought when I was watching it was one of the, the female contestants, the Scottish one, Kerry, she had been nominated by her wife, and it was like, what would they have said in the 90s? They wouldn't have said that, obviously. I was like, would it have been, my best friend nominated me, you know? So hurrah for that, that, the, that um, you know, the lesbians and gay men can say, yes, this is my wife, this is my husband, or, or non-binary partner. I think Bradley Walsh worked because he's good with the off-the-cuff, quick, yeah. you know, come back to whatever. But I think um, Barney felt a bit superfluous and they so, maybe could have had somebody like I was just like going to say it needed to be like a mixed sex yeah, duo yeah, like it was yeah, in the yeah. 90s like yeah. Ulrika yes. and Fash yeah someone I, flagged that on on Twitter as well like, I can't remember who it was apologies I should give them credit they did notice that every presenter on that channel that night was male and then followed by a documentary about a woman getting murdered that yeah. is not a good look it needs to be some more thought gone into this. Come on, guys. You know, yeah. the representation was there for the gladiators and the contestants, not so for the for the presenter. Yeah, get yeah, Alison you... Hammond cannot be the one black yeah. woman female presenter, <laughs> you know, on all of the enough. But you mentioned Ninja Warrior, and that had much more of a diverse presenting yeah. team because that was Ben Shepherd, Rochelle Humes, and Chris Kamari. You had all your best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I thought they should have had someone sport A. You know, even connected to sport in some way, mm. like Alex Scott or yeah. somebody like that. Sam Quack. Yeah, Sam Quack would be would be great, ideal. But I guess the Yeah, Bradley and Benji have done a few bungee jumps. Yeah. Barney, Barney, not Benji. <laughs> <laughs> See how memorable the poor lad is. <laughs> 
But he's also an actor, I think, isn't yeah, he? In casualty. He's in casualty, yeah. yeah, and he was in the Larkins as well. That was um ITV's big Sunday That's, night. Again, nepotism there. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Exactly. And he got his start on um the cop show that Bradley Walsh did. Law and Order. Law and Order UK, yeah. Bin off Barney and get a female sports-related person in. Even, you know, um, oh gosh, her name just dropped out of my head there. Claire... Jill Scott? No, No. Claire Balding. Claire Balding. Balding. But yeah, Jill Scott as well would be a perfect. And she's, you know, an ITV darling because she won um, I'm a Celebrity. So This is on BBC, guys, now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She can be a BBC. I mean, she is doing... League of the Own now. League of the Own, which is uh, Sky. Sky. Yeah, so she's a free agent. <laughs> so hopefully, um, yeah, that's the only complaint I, I have. And got, if, what are you going to say? I was just going to say, gone are the days where presenters were shackled to one channel. So yeah, this is true. Yeah, yeah. So on Twitter again, which has been very useful for this show, I've loved uh, watching all of people's feedback come through for it. The people who know um, got the overnights in, and it was six million for it last night with a peak of 6.4. I think it might have been Ian Highland or, or somebody who um, pays attention to these things said, six million, that would be five million, uh, 15 million viewers rather in, in old money. That's got to be pretty stunning, especially because Saturday night always seems to my mind to be sort of like ITV. So fair play. And I think, does this open the floodgates to get more nostalgia reboots and maybe well, we don't actually need those? Apparently, we're getting Bullseye presented by Paddy McGuinness as the next bring it back from the 80s. Wow. He needs to well. Paddy McGuinness. He does, yeah. I think yeah. this did well because they just tweaked it. It was basically exactly the same mm-hmm. format. The costumes were slightly shinier and they tweaked a few of the games and the wide shots were still there. It made you feel like you were part of this massive cheering audience. Yeah, I think some of the, the camera tech was very clever. It's good fun and it's it's good for this channel on on a Saturday. As a, Just to cordon it off a little bit um, in terms of sort of formats and stuff, has anyone watched any of the other sort of remakes or comebacks, Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, any, any thoughts on any of those? I watched Jeopardy, the other... Last night, whatever night it was on, uh, Friday, one of the days. Anyway, I watched Jeopardy. All the days are blending into one for me. I thought it was really good choice having Stephen Fry as the presenter because he just constantly adds little bits of tidbits of information after the the answers, you know. And and you know it's not like he's reading it off a card as it would be with some presenters. He's just saying, oh, you know, that's blah blah blah. I liked it, but I haven't. I just find the idea of Graham Norton as the game show presenter really weird. He seems to me like he's above that now. <laughs> like he's famous in America, he's a famous author. Why is he presenting Wheel of Fortune? I didn't gel with it. I watched it last week because obviously, you know, I think it, I think there was football on BBC One, so there wasn't a lot of other options. <laughs> didn't work for me. It, it just very sort of static and very, I think Graham's sort of almost a bit shackled by a format like that where, you, you know, just questions and answers, albeit with the, the wheel and now you know the wheel changes on its own so there's no glamorous assistance <laughs> turning the letters yeah it just feels a bit static and you know unlike as we say gladiators feeling very kinetic and you're part of the audience there it feels like a bit of an odd choice to bring that back i know 
Jeopardy seems like it's one of those shows that never really stuck over here, so let's give it another go. But I don't think anyone was really clamoring for Wheel of Fortune, and no. they obviously can't give Stephen Mulholland any more shows, so that's possibly why <laughs> was drafted. <laughs> Sarah, did you have you watched either? Yes, I've watched and enjoyed Jeopardy, but again on social media, it seems to be very split as to whether people like it or not because it is such a strange format for a British audience, but something that barely needs any explanation in America. Um, and some people didn't think it was real and they'd only seen it on like The Simpsons or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, Stephen Fry's done a bang up job to sort of like be very kind to the contestants and the viewers to sort of lead them through something that it does seem quite alien the way that they, they have to give answers. But yeah, I've enjoyed it and just seemed like an hour is too long for it, even with adverts. It fits in that late afternoon quiz slot quite nice because it's gentle and then it ramps up, you know, to, to some sort of um, tension. It's no tipping point. I watched the first episode of that and I think they should have changed the theme tune because it's quite an outdated sort of <laughs> old-fashioned theme tune. That's sort of a wrap-up of all the light entertainment series that have debuted <laughs> this year. Thank you so much to Sarah and Dawn. Do you want to just go through where we can find you on the interweb? We'll start with Sarah. Yeah, sure. I am at Sarah Hamstera on Twitter. Um, no new writings at the moment, but if you want to see what I write about TV, it's on whynow.co.uk. You can get me on Twitter at DawnGlen2 and on Instagram and the other places where I haven't posted <laughs> as Ikeloshu, I-K-K-L-E-O-S-U. And Twitter-wise, I'm at Matt's TV Bites, um, the website slash Luke at Luke Custard TV, at Custard TV Bod for the podcast. We're on Instagram, it's the Custard TV, Facebook, the Custard TV, and email reviews at gmail.com. Next week, me and Luke will be hopping above the time machine again. we are reviewing uh, the first series of The League of Gentlemen. Uh, gimme, gimme, gimme. And um, if you remember this deep cut, Michelle Collins' holiday rep drama, Sunburn. Don't I'm old enough, it. I remember it, yeah. <laughs> All uh, 25 years ago uh, this month. So uh, that will be next week. Uh, but until then, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs>